based British, also known as Christian. Very nice to connect with you. Lovely to be here, Lana. Yeah. Lovely to be here. What a pleasure. What a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are the creator of the inspiring but tragic at times 10 hour documentary called Apotheosis of Evil. But as you said, it's kind of intended to be a love letter to Europeans. So tell us about it. Kind of summarize it, if you will. It's a, it's a masterpiece, of course. Thank you very much. And that means a lot coming from you, of course. So, well, yeah, I just, um, I wanted to give our movement, our people, our side, the right, the right side, um, my biggest contribution I could possibly give them in the form of a documentary. And well, I mean, I have a previous, like previous experience making documentaries. I was in college and I made, you know, a short documentary there, but this is my first debut film, my first uh, debut documentary which of course means it's over 60 minutes, it's over an hour. And I think it's safe to say that this documentary is indeed over an hour. <laughs> so, <laughs> 10 of them, yeah. yes. I um, I would advise people, I mean, of course, not many people will have the time and day to once at this. <laughs> so I would advise people to either split it into the parts it's available, which is part one, part two, and part three, or to watch it um, in two hour segments on a daily basis or whenever they can. Um, but either way, this is probably the most important documentary you will ever watch in your life with the exception of a few others. And I would highly recommend to just, you know, just find the time, make the time and watch this documentary. And hopefully your life will change before your very eyes. <laughs> and um, if not, then I failed as far as I'm concerned. So this took about four months to make. I sort of quit my job to make this thing because I knew that this, this would take quite a while to make. So. Do I want to prolong this uh, production and make it, you know, like a six month, seven month experience or, you know, just cut it, cut it in half, make a four month experience. Um, it was a labor of love, just a passion project of the highest order. I didn't make this with any intention of profiting from it. And plus I knew that it would, if, if, if it ever got popular enough, would most likely get taken down due to, you guessed it, hate speech. So, um, well, it just had to be made. I had to make this thing because this is something that needs to be made today. Now, you hit all the big points in history. You divide it up basically mm -hmm. into three parts. So tell us kind of summarize the, the three different parts before people are going to go into it. Of course. Well, the first part is the shortest. And the first part, it just sort of delves into, I mean, it establishes the greatness of Europe and why it's so great. And it, is, it also establishes the various ailments uh, Europe was, you know, contracted over the many, many generations um, since, say, 20th century, the start of the 20th century. Um, it just goes over, you know, child drag queens, um, and exploitation of children. It, it goes over, you know, the feminist agenda and what it really is. And, and um, just, you know, you know, the effect immigration has upon a nation. Um, race crime statistics and it just covers a lot of this stuff that is very important to understand uh, forward in today's age uh, part two is when the doctor i feel really begins because then we really begin into uh our european story in that we, we, we go back for the first time all the way back to um the roman empire and we slowly work our way up to the present day and what part two is, it's just pretty much entirely devoted to European history and certain truths that you may be unaware of. And part three is pretty much the most 
how would I say this, um, hardcore when it comes to <laughs> red pilling, you know, mm-hmm. and it, it pretty it, it pretty it pretty much covers uh, America, um, the American history, and the Rothschild banking dynasty, and everything sort of. I try to make everything sort of come together at the end, and it ends on a very powerful note, very emotional, very powerful uh, note with uh, uh, one Leon de Grel and the Rivers, Rivers of Blood speech. And it sort of sums up what yeah, we have at stake. Absolutely, what, yeah. What, exactly what we have at stake. Dare, have I, dare I say, and I know other people have made the reference, it is almost another uh, greatest story, but encomp- encompassing much more, much more of Europe and much more of modern day. It's also kind of a crash course history lesson that's not from the cultural Marxist (laughs) historical point of view. And I think that's one reason why I see parts of your video that people are being, uh, that people are uploading are being nuked from YouTube because they don't like you viewing history from a certain point of view now, do they? Now, tell us, I mean, are you a history buff? Because there was quite a bit in here. (laughs) (laughs) Believe it or not, Lona, I actually am, well, I was originally not very interested in history. I um. It, I mean, this is going back to school, my school days, my high school days. I mean, I didn't hear history, but I was never particularly interested in history. It wasn't until I became like an avid researcher. I mean, I just love learning new things. I love researching new things, especially stuff that you're not meant to know about, stuff that's kept from the general public. Um, and I just love learning new things in general. So it was inevitable then that I would become very interested in history because... <laughs> A lot of stuff is kept from the general public that has happened throughout history. And um, I'd like to think that many of this stuff can be found within Apotheosis of Evil at some point. <laughs> now, why the title Apotheosis of Evil? Because Apotheosis is the, the highest or the best part of something, the peak, right? The pinnacle. Yes. Well, once again, I was very happy that this title wasn't taken by anything. <laughs> so I, I had to look up whether or not. Sorry, a notification. I had to look up whether this documentary was available. Uh, sorry, this title was available and it wasn't. So I was very happy about that. And I, then I had to look into what the, the name Apotheosis actually meant, just so I could be sure uh, the title actually made sense. And yeah, it, it does mean um, you know, that the pinnacle, the peak of an evil. And I do think that we are living in times in which this evil is indeed sort of at its peak. I mean, how can you not when we live in any era of child drag queens, child exploitation? I mean, come on. Even the most common sense people can see that this is wrong and disgusting and degenerate and evil. I fear that it might even get even worse, if you can imagine. Yes. You know, we're still relatively, yes. we can still be safe. We can have our safe communities in certain areas for now. Mm-hmm. I want to read a little bit of the opening text of the film, uh, a quote. The beauty and splendor of European and Western civilization is unmatched. The unequivocal envy of the world, they have long been at the forefront of the greatest and most innovative discoveries, inventions, art, and culture the world has ever seen. Now, saying this, of course, makes you a white supremacist, right? <laughs> but of course, anyone, you know, why, why are so many people trying to come live in the West? Obviously, they think these things too, right? Anyway, it goes on. Yet for many generations, there have been forces working to undermine it from within its very own borders. This is the story of the European peoples, their struggles, their success, and ultimately, if continued on their current path, their inevitable demise. So, no, we Europeans, we have a glorious, we have a complex, beautiful, and tragic history. And I think history is also in the making right now. 
but before we dive into some of these things, because I, I want to dive into the film and ask you some questions about what you think is going to play out in this history that we're making right now in our timeline. But real quick, because I know a lot of people are going to want to know, tell us about your a quick recap, basically, of how you got to where you are politically today. I think for most of us, 2016 was a watershed year uh, for their sort of uh, political beliefs, and it certainly was for me. Um, I will say that I was always sort of right wing. I was always conservative in my views. I just actually wasn't aware of what a conservative actually meant until 2016. I was very politically unaware until then. I, I always hated politics um, because, well, for an obvious reason, nothing ever seems to go our way. And my parents always hated um, you know, our government. And I was like, well, it's obviously they're not interested in uh, taking care of the country and our peoples. I mean, I don't know what's going on, but there's certainly nothing I can do about it. Of course, until I began researching online and finding out why this is and who's behind it and why they are behind it and their ultimate schemes and the plot, uh, the plot that they hope to, uh, you know, you know, uh, the plot that they're trying to, you know, the, the culmination of a generations longer plot and scheme to, you know, uh, sort of dilute our country into uh, sort of a, a melting pot of different. Uh, people, different cultures, different races. So we are just completely um, indistinguishable from any other country. And I, I mean, I did indeed support Trump in 2016, um, you know, as most people on our side Many of us did, yeah. And uh, I will say, Lorna, the one book series that changed my life forever, and um, I would strongly recommend this. It's in the credits of this documentary, Planet, uh, Planet Rothschild. Uh, mm -hmm. From my, I, I, you've had my king on before, mm -hmm. Lana. So yeah. I, his, his his planet, um, sorry, his planet Rothschild duology of books changed my life forever. Yeah. It really did. And everything after that, that was sort of my entrance into the rabbit hole, and everything after that just got me deeper and deeper into the rabbit hole. So uh, here I am today with the this ten hour epic. Nothing <laughs> like starting with the source, though. You kind of went right to the source right away, you know. Well, you say in the film, you know, to find out what's happening in the present, we need to go back to the past. I absolutely agree. That seems like we're in a cycle, kind of repeating the same things. You begin with Mesopotamia, which was a big melting pot of peoples from all over the world, and ultimately, that's why it was destroyed, right? And then you end with the American New World Order, and which is basically the liberal, progressive New World Order, and uh, what it's up to today. So let's summarize the last 2,000 years of European history. <laughs> I'm just joking. No, but we can find we can find some common themes. I was taking some notes while I was watching this of, you know, where things start to go very wrong in civilizations. So let's talk about some of those. What are some that you noticed, common themes of what makes nations become weak? I'll throw out, throw out the first one that came up a lot in your film. Usury. Interest, interest charging bankers, bankers what was a big thing, right? Or friends of the bankers, not. Uh, mass immigration, right? And whenever natives become minorities, original civilization disappears. Uh, like Rome, like we had today, they're talking about importing workers. That was always, <laughs> that was always a big no-no and went to bad places in the end. Uh, slavery, slavery was a big one. No one's ever profited from slavery. It just ended up uh, causing all kinds of bad things in the end. Uh, religion. I would add a tiny hat, tiny hat migration, <laughs> and then submitting to the rule of the minority. To you're, you're just being nice. You know, the host country just wants to be nice. They want to make them feel good. They give in to them. Very bad. Uh, brotherly wars, 
We had wealthy elites and aristocrats. That's always a common theme. I, I think colonialism backfiring. I want to ask you about that. And then also uh, communism. <laughs> now, what do you think some of the common themes historically of what makes nations weak? Well, I think actually the first one, the first one, uh, one of the first ones that's established within the documentary itself is actually giving uh, women the right to vote. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, like, there are plenty of women like you, Lana, that actually can vote intelligently and, you know, that's you know fully aware of what's going on. But the thing is, most women, and once again, a lot of women have told uh, me this themselves, of course, they're just, they're, they're just completely apolitical and just have no yeah, interest in that's true. politics whatsoever. And not only that, but they also have a tendency to be very welcoming and very loving. And, and that's lovely, of course, but when it's within the family structure yeah. and the family unit, of course, and when it's extended to other countries, this is bad. This is a very bad thing, historically. Um, and of course, this is proven today, today, of course, with the, I mean, a lot of women nowadays are in favor of bringing refugees in, immigrants in, because it's the right thing to do. It's the good thing to do. And really, it's not, because this affects um, the host nation very, uh, very negatively, doesn't it? And the thing is, if you don't put yourselves first, your own, your own people first, your own nation first, then that doesn't really make you a good person, does it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No. <laughs> it's, uh, out, out, just altruism of the highest order is what we call it, Lana. Yeah. And um, once again, it's it's just that's just one of the many many issues, of course. Yeah. You know, yeah. Alt- altruism is definitely a big a big one, I think, in, in European history. And even I, I noticed you focus mm-hmm. more on the well, it's not really recent, but a couple thousand years, you know, because when you go back to even uh, pagan kind of tribal wars back then, they could have fighting and it could be violent, but they were still sane people. They weren't, they were progressivism was never, ever a part of it back then. I think it's a, it's a newer thing, like these brotherly wars over globalist ventures and stuff. It's far, far, far worse than I think ancient tribal warfare. What do you think? Definitely. Yeah, I, um, I mean, tribal warfare was throughout history. It was just norm, really, wasn't yeah. it? You know, you, you've got to you've got to uh, protect your country, your territory. You've got to protect your women, your children, um, from other invading uh, tribes. I mean, it was just the norm. It's been the norm throughout history, and this is probably the fir- one of the first times in history where we are openly welcoming, you know, third world elements into our countries willingly. We're willing to give them all sorts of freebies. You know. Uh, we're willing to pay for them to come here, pay for them to stay, you know, you know, off the backs of the native population of this country. And many of these people don't work. They have no uh, no respect for the country, no respect for the uh, the host population, the native population, no respect for the English, no respect for the uh, Americans. And it's just, once again, this is also a form of evil. I mean, I, look, I know the, these people are just doing what's best for them, but... Once again, we should have every every right to put our foot down and you know eject these people out of our countries if they are neg- ne- negatively affecting the country and our people. Yeah, and as you and as you detail in the film, some of the greatest civilizations on the planets, what makes them fall when they let in large amounts of foreign populations? It's just a historical okay. fact. I mean, it replaces the original civilization. And I mean, we can see that now in Egypt. It's obviously not the same people. Uh, Parts of Mexico, you know, who built those pyramids, obviously not the same people. We we see this all over the planet of people being replaced. And then there's remnants of those people there. And obviously they were altruistic, Uh I think. 
Are you saying? Are you saying that they weren't Kangs? Is that what you're saying? That's exactly what I'm saying. The Daily Star saying that, um, like, um, what is it, like Tutankhamun or something like that, yeah. um, was recently found to have like blonde hair or something like exactly. that. Exactly. And the comment, the comments on that post were hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Just so many people saying. You, you talking about we wasn't Kangs? We wasn't pharaohs and shit? <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, 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 I suppose I could have gotten to Egypt within the documentary, but I just thought, why not start with Rome? Because Rome covers pretty much the same story. Because there were Europeans in uh, Egypt too, weren't there? <laughs> As They'd like to cover that fact up, but yes. Mm-hmm. Now, I wanted to ask you, colonialism comes up a lot. Uh, we always get the, we always hear all the same, oh, it's... You know, all these lies about raping and pillaging and they just terrorize all these locals. Now, these were small colonies going in, building roads, schools, infrastructures, all the things that these third world countries want us to come over today and do anyway. <laughs> you know, people were doing in small number back then and they were actually profiting and stuff. But they love to bring up some stories about, you know, people being oppressed and all these horrific things that happen and stuff. Your thoughts on the British Empire. Was it a plus in the end of them going out and exploring and colonizing or was it a negative thing in the end? I know Arthur well, Kemp would Arthur Kemp would say it was a negative. <laughs> Well, now they all know where you guys live, too. So, Exactly. And that's another um, author and book I recommend, uh, Lana, of the, the March of the Titans, The Complete History of the White Race. It's a masterpiece of a book. And it helped me greatly in the making of this documentary with their uh, taking notes. So, uh, yeah, in response to the question, Lana, I, well, first things first, I'm very proud. I am from a country that once had the, the largest empire in history. I'm very proud to know that that once was the case for my country it's not anymore, obviously. As um, Lady uh, Diana Method said in the documentary, it's like, but we're now like the sick man of Europe. And that was in the 70s and 80s, you know, so. Um, do I think it's a plus? Um, it was certainly a plus for our country as a whole, as it, as it brought a lot of wealth and great respect to our country. I mean, the whole world knew what and who the English were. They knew who we were back then. <laughs> um, but did it negatively impact um, other countries? No, it didn't negatively impact them. Once again, it, it brought most nations into first place. It's just the, the native populations of these countries. Um, from lo- looking through our history, I, I think it's just when when the native populations of a certain country feel, feel they aren't in control of their countries, that, that's where of, um, conflict and strife arises. You see, they, their countries may have been brought to first world status, but they felt um, that they were in control of their own nation's destiny. And I think that this is where a lot of the um, problems arose. They didn't necessarily mind English being there, maybe, but they didn't like the fact that they weren't in control of their own destiny. Sure. Yeah. And once this just came to bite us in the, in the, in the, uh, in the behind, you know, <laughs> um, to keep it polite, uh, in, um, in modern day Britain. Because we are not in control of our nations. I think this is pretty obvious. I mean, London is not even an English city anymore. I mean, no, exactly. And the thing mm-hmm. is, Europeans basically helped uh, map the globe, right? Everyone knows where they exist in relation to the rest of the world, thanks to Europeans. But with that also comes now they all know where we are. <laughs> They're all coming to where we are, you know, and London today is being hammered. <laughs> 
by mass immigration. And there's people there who are openly talking about how, you know, people from uh, India and Asia and whatnot saying that this is revenge for colonialism. So now we're going to colonize you, you know. So what do you think about that? <laughs> Someone left a, a, great, a great comment on Twitter a couple of months ago. They said, isn't it amazing how diversity can go from being a strength to revenge That's for right. colonialism <laughs> at, the, at the drop of a hat? You know, <laughs> it's hilarious, isn't it? And is it also hilarious that Sadiq Khan relentlessly, constantly has to tell us that diversity is a strength, when of course London is now the most violent it's ever been. <laughs> you know, yeah. knife crime is abundant and acid attacks. And of course, how is diversity a strength? How can he say this with a straight face when London is the is the state it is in today? Because he's a liar. He's a liar with a motive, and the motive is to replace English people because it yes. is some kind of hate and revenge, and they wanted to be mm. a Muslim country. I think it's really simple as simple as that, you know, and that's that's hate speech now, hate speech pointing that out, even though there's people that are on the streets of London openly talking about this, admitting it right in your face, you know. Mm. Now, what do you think about switching over to a different kind of colonialism? A Spanish, the Spanish Empire, they also, you know, went out and mapped the globe. No, Columbus did not discover America. You got to give credit to Leif Erikson here, <laughs> the Vikings, uh, Ice Age Europeans and whatnot who were there first. But what do you think about uh, Spaniards going into like South America and Mexico? I always think it's funny when Mexicans uh, always talk about, you know, our land, American stuff. It's like, well, Europeans also founded Mexico, <laughs> you know, and, exactly. and a lot of South, big South American cities and whatnot. You're mestizos. You're also part of those people, you know. Uh, what do you think about a Spanish colonialism? Was that a plus in the end? When the conquistadors first came to South America back in the day, it was like the 1500s, um, well, of, of course, they came across the Aztec Empire too. But once again, they, they did have, by all accounts, like a very advanced empire. I have no doubt about that. But the thing is, is that they were still quite, um, quite the savages, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> And of course, as detailed in the documentary, they had this like barbaric tribalistic practice of ripping the hearts out of victims every now and again to please their gods. I mean, you know, once again, what is this? And they also picked out a lot of um, neighboring tribes to, to perform this. They, um, and a lot of these neighboring tribes hated and feared the Aztecs. So once again, um, was it a bad thing that we wiped out the Aztecs? Well, the thing is, I mean, we, we certainly wiped out their civilization, but we didn't necessarily wipe out them as a people in a way they sort of wipe themselves out through generations of once again this in documentary gen generations of sort of interbreeding and admittedly diseases that they contracted over time so it, it's, a, it's unfortunate that the aztecs as a people no, now no longer exist the aztec empire i mean obviously if the aztec empire still existed i would love to see what it looked like i would love to visit it but what went on within the empire is eh, you know it's not exactly very appealing to the civilized white man <laughs> And um, overall, I think, I mean, the, the thing is, it, we, we did turn many, you know, places in South Africa into a first world nation. Unfortunately, it now no, no longer exists. So was it a negative and a plus? Um, it's hard to say. All it is, is it's history now. And it's just history that we have to acknowledge and, and deal with.
Well, here's the point I would bring up, too. I mean, globalism today, we hear that it is good and it is wonderful and we should have open borders and live anywhere we want. Okay, well, then Europeans were doing that ahead of the curve, right? They were doing that back then. So what makes it wrong back then, but then right today Mm -hmm. for people to come to countries even like Sweden who didn't even colonize because, you know, they think all Europeans are colonizers. That's always the excuse. So we get to colonize you now, you know, now it makes it right. So they were just globalists of their day. What's the problem, yeah. <laughs> right? Because that's, exactly. that's what globalism is. You replace other civilizations. <laughs> exactly. The way I see it is simply this. The white man, in the age of discovery, went across the entire globe looking for new places to create into first world nations, to create for their own people, you know? Um, they seen all these barren lands, all lands that belong to savages, and they thought, why not civilize these lands and make them habitable for our people and they did this and it really is just as simple as that yeah good intentions i think that they had good hearted Mm -hmm. intentions they weren't the monsters that these people obviously try and portray them to be (laughs) obviously and these same people are letting all these people into their countries today obviously you know they're not these uh, uh evil hearted people and stuff they really did want to help Now, I wanted to switch over Muslims in Europe. This is another big segment. Uh, Constantinople area known as Turkey. You know, uh, know, Turkey was European before the Ottoman Muslims came in and brutally took it over. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about some of the the Muslim history there. We had the Serbs versus the Muslims. We had the Barbary slave trade. And then one of the things I really wanted to highlight was uh, the young Turks, the Ottoman Turks in European lands. Let's talk about that because a lot of people don't know that little bit of history. And there's a network called the Young Turks, by the way, that is promoted everywhere by YouTube. And so tell us a little bit about what they did. Of course, the Young Turks still does exist today, doesn't it? (laughs) There's actually a channel called the Young Turks, which actually has like millions of subs. You know? um, but yet the Young Turks, I mean, they, they were just, this, you know, they they were pretty much responsible for one of the greatest mass slaughterings, mass genocides in history, which to this day goes ignored by the Turkish government, I believe. Um, I mean, we, we, you know, we hear all the time, every day about the Holocaust, but we never hear about the Armenian, the Armenian genocide, which killed just as many people as the alleged Holocaust. And of course, that can also be, you know, Holodomor is another genocide that happened in history. And it's another one that you never really hear about in uh, history classes. Yeah, I mean, this is new. This so, I, I'm sad to say it is newer to me. I just learned about this, uh, getting into these topics, learning about the slaughter mm-hmm. of millions of Armenians. Uh, how, how, how is this not heard? I mean, there's been so many atrocities on European soil by by foreigners, right? And then you also had the Mongol Empire, Genghis Khan invading into Russia. None of these non-European invading tyrants or any of those descendants today are guilty into giving away their land and serving up their people as a sacrifice to make things right. I mean, are they ever charged for war and conquest and invasion and genocide and and trying to colonize? No. And I think that's the big point I want to make here. And you highlight there has been other people coming into Europe and just wrecking havoc. The Barbary slave trade, millions of white people enslaved and taken to Africa by pirates and white women as sex slaves and just like awful things that have happened and we never hear about it. And these are historical facts. And then you put it up on YouTube and it's hate speech. It's hate facts, right? Exactly. Hate speech, pretty much, for anyone that doesn't know by now, is just inconvenient truths, truths that, uh, truths that, the elites, the governments of uh, you know our countries, European countries, don't want anyone knowing about. 
It's inconvenient for them because it goes against their agenda, and that's all hate speech is. There really is no such thing as hate speech. Anything, what is classed as hate speech exactly? Anything can be classed as hate speech to someone. And if something truly is hateful, then just block the person, ignore the person, um, etc., etc. There's just no such thing as hate speech, really. Um, the only thing that could be possibly classed as that is calling for violence, calling for the death of someone. And once again, that's obviously not what anyone is calling for in our movement. Another big theme in your film, I'm going to try and roll through as many as I can, but uh, bankers. So let's get into the bankers because I know this was your entry point in things. You get into the Rothschild World Bank, the creation of the Central Bank, really uh, the New World Order and, and globalism beginning hot and heavy in America, uh, coming, you know, influenced by uh, Rothschilds, Illuminati, Freemasonry. You get into all that kind of stuff. So let's get into the importance of bankers in uh, European history, where, where we see when a, a certain cabal of bankers comes in, wrecks havoc, they profit, they run away, and Europeans are suffering, and it's creating uh, troubles in their nations. Let's get into that a little bit. Well, it's how, it's how these people enslave the nations first. If you want to have control of a nation, the first thing you need to do is enslave the nation through debt-based banking, uh, uh, banking system, which they, which these, you know, very same uh, people, this very same tribe of people have always tried to implement every single country they've ever been in. <laughs> um, it, you know, this has been happening as far back as Rome. It really has. It, it's just always happened. And um, it's happened in Britain. And this is, of course, part of the reason why they were kicked out with the Edict of Expulsion in, uh, it was like 2090. And, you know, it, this happened in, in Spain, which is part of the reason they were ex um out of Spain in uh, the 14, uh, 1400s, 1490s, 1400s, whatever. And um, I mean, yeah, once again, Napoleon had a problem with these very same people. This is just always went on. It's just always went on. Andrew Jackson fought the bankers. You know, his most famous quote is uh, his most famous accomplishment was the fact that he successfully killed the bank. Yeah, I believe that was one of his last words. Actually. Didn't he but, call these um, bankers vipers too? He was calling them out. Yeah, he had some harsh words. He said, he said uh, "You are a den of vipers and thieves, and I intend to rat you out. Uh, rat you out, and by God's, I will rat you out." Yeah, and it's it's hard to believe that a president once uh, confronted the bankers uh, like this. You know, he just uh, like a no nonsense approach, these bankers. Just imagine Trump saying the same thing nowadays. It's unimaginable, really, isn't it? Well, I mean, this even goes way back to Caesar, as you highlight. Even Caesar, some some of the greatest yeah. leaders in European history who gained control, one of the first things they did was ban usury and get rid of these mm -hmm. bankers. That's why we have a tiny hat expulsion is nothing new. It's happened all across Europe, and it, usually it's been brought on because of these, because of usury, really, and just cr crazy unfair practices that they just keep pushing, and people are like, okay, we've, we've had enough, right? But we see things like that happening again today. You know, bankers are in control of America, just like back then. And you detail in here how, like, the Rothschild family really they helped finance the Boer Wars. They control the oil in the Middle East, helping uh, finance, you know, trouble in the Middle East. Also, the creation of Israel, the Russian Revolution. Like, there is banking money behind it all. And I think there's obviously that's still around today, right? They're still banking money financing these foreign wars where none of us are profiting, but they're all gaining just and becoming richer. I mean, that's how the Rothschilds got rich ultimately, right? Exactly. I mean, why do you think, Lana, that there's so many of these uh, politicians uh, stand with Israel? I mean, I, I can't stand when people uh. say this, especially politicians. It's so cringy. You just have to realize it's obvious where their money 
is coming from. It's obvious who, who's financing these people. Why would an American want to stand with Israel? We, we, you know, America has nothing to do with Israel. We, we shouldn't have anything to do with Israel, of course. We shouldn't have anything to do with this little nation in the Middle East. Nope, so when, not, not again, it's pretty obvious who's financing these politicians. <laughs> now, the currency issue, what do you what do you think? I mean, how are we going to get around that? Is it going to have to take uh, leaders again banning certain practices and taking control of the banks and like in America, you know, taking control of the, the Federal Reserve and the central banks? I mean, what what's the answer here? It's so huge. I think I think to put it simply on it, we are going to have to have leaders in the, in the future that will have the courage to just outright abolish uh, these banking systems. Just get rid of them. Like, we uh, the we know a mustache man, sorry to interrupt, but mustache man, another classic one who did something like that. And we saw what happened to him. So, you know. Mm. It seems like anytime people arise like JFK also, a lot of theories that that's why he was shot. I actually have a really good, I think I wanted to play that from the film. You um, ha have a, him speaking about this cabal, basically, and it's uh, pretty powerful. We'll cue that up and just listen to that for a second. Ladies and gentlemen, the very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. We decided long ago that the dangers of excessive and unwarranted concealment of pertinent facts far outweighed the dangers which are cited to justify it. Even today, there is little value in opposing the threat of a closed society by imitating its arbitrary restrictions. Even today, there is little value in ensuring the survival of our nation if our traditions do not survive with it. For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence, on infiltration instead of invasion, on subversion instead of elections, on intimidation instead of free choice, on guerrillas by night instead of armies by day. It is a system which has conscripted vast human and material resources into the building of a tightly knit, highly efficient machine that combines military, diplomatic, intelligence, economic, scientific, and political operations. Its preparations are concealed, not published. Its mistakes are buried, not headlined. Its dissenters are silenced, not praised. No expenditure is questioned, no rumor is printed, no secret is revealed. He called it, you know, there it is. He called it. And that's obviously why he was shot. And the truth is that there have been many influential, intelligent and even powerful men who have called out, who have said similar things like this about a, a secret cabal working in subverting people. It's not some kooky conspiracy theory. Even the New World Order references. I mean, some of the greatest minds have been talking about this for a long time and warning us about this very global conspiracy that's happening. And how do we know it's true? Because YouTube will even ban us for even talking about it. Exactly. Like you can't even point it out, you know? I mean, I find the hope. It's amusing to me that people say that this stuff is just a conspiracy theory. How is it unrealistic that a group of wealthy people, right, that can do whatever they want, 
how is it exactly unrealistic that they get together in a room, that they congregate together in a room and plot and scheme to advance their own, you know, personal agendas? Exactly. How is this an unrealistic scenario exactly? Of course it's not. It's completely, it's completely realistic. That's, you know, that's what these um, people, these very wealthy people, these very powerful people would do. It happens every day. They're conspiring exactly. every day. And as he, as JFK said there, they're basically infiltrating and subverting all these different areas. It's this tight-knit community, and they know exactly what they're doing. And now here we are. You know, I mean, New World Order fully in swing in America. But the truth is it's also mm. in Europe. I mean, we can go into also a little bit of the roots of the European Union because it all, it all connects. I mean connects with bankers and a lot of this cabal and uh, friends with uh, Richard Kudenhoff Kalergi. Let's talk about him a little bit because a lot of people think, oh, the European Union is, is, it's a good thing. Now we know that that's not true and it has nothing to do with Europeans being united. It's actually the complete opposite <laughs> of that. These are like open borders activists who actually hate European, eth ethnically uh, European homogenous nations. But tell us a little bit about Kalergi and what he was about, his vision for Europe. Course, I mean of course, not many. This is a um, very, very well kept, you know, secret of history. And it's not one that I actually um, understood once again until I found uh, Mike King's Planet Butchard series. Richard Kudanov Kalegi was just this wealthy, this wealthy social elite. And he actually came under, um, he wrote this book in the 1920s. And this was read by the wealthy banker Max Warburg, right? who was like a, you know, he was in cahoots with the Rothschild at the time. And he financed um, his scheme, which he outlined and detailed in this book for a pan-European Europe, like a pan-European movement, um, a unified Europe of different mi uh, mixed races within the borders. So this plot, this plan for like, you know, mixed melting pot societies was actually planned as far back as the 1920s by um, Kalegi, and he himself was of mixed race origin, I believe. Yeah, he was Austrian I, I, I and believe. Japanese. Yeah, he was. Exactly, yes. So he wanted everyone to I be believe. mixed like him, right? <laughs> exactly. And, um, but the thing is, here's the catch, Lana. Within the book, he also detailed how the, how the only ones that would remain untouched with this um, racial mixing plan would be the, uh, the small hats, as uh, we yeah. like to call them now. The small hats. <laughs> so um, they are the only ones that would remain untouched. Uh, Unbelievable. With this uh, Unbelievable. You know, melting pot scheme that they had. Yeah, meanwhile, the new European, and he talked about this, would be a Eurasian Negroid man of the future. Right, because that's going to, somehow that's just going to end racism, right? If we just have no more white yeah. people, basically, so if we just have no more white people, it's going to end racism. But Jews will still be Jews, and Africans will still have African areas, and Asians will still have Asian. Obviously, this was hatred for Europeans. And this is this is the man who is, what is it, Pan-Europe? Didn't he write a book, something called Pan-Europe? I mean, these are the roots of the European Union. They're drawing a lot of the philosophies from this guy. I mean, a lot of people don't know this. This is someone who's anti-European, who hates European people, who wants them to be mixed race in the future. It's really outrageous. But again, oh, it's a conspiracy, right? And we're like, we, we're connecting exactly. all the dots. It's happening right before our eyes. We're just pointing it out. Exactly. <sighs> exactly. And uh, yeah, there's, there's also this thing called the Charlemagne uh, 
I think I'll show here in a minute, the Charlemagne Award, which is, uh, it's been given out since I think 1950. And the first recipient of this award, his contributions to this uh, pan-European movement was Count Kudenhoff. I can't even say his name, sorry. I know. Kalegi. It was Kalegi. Count Kudenhoff. I can't say his name. That's good. There's, a, good, there's a reason for that. <laughs> it was Kalegi. The first recipient was Kalegi. And ever since then, it's been, I mean, a recent recipient of this award was um, Macron. Mm-hmm. Macron, uh, President Macron of France, and um, that witch in Germany, <laughs> Angela Merkel. So it's being given to all of these um, these leaders who further the agenda of these bankers, these uh, social elites who want this uh, melting pot, you know, mixed racial uh, nations, civilization, should I say. And a lot of them, they're progressives, they're communists, but they're also Zionists. Now, you had a really good quote in there I pulled out in 1920, Winston Churchill. He actually published an article on Zionism versus Bolshevism in the Sunday Herald. And he also warned of a global tiny-hat communist conspiracy and their overthrow of civilization. He actually talked about this. I mean, this is this is nothing new, but it's only growing. The fact that we can talk about it and powerful men are silenced from talking about it tells you how far along this agenda really is, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, Winston, Winston Churchill is no certainly no hero of mine. No. In fact, I think he was one. Of, I think he was one of the worst Britons of all time. Um, I, I went to London um, last year. So last year for a month. Um, and it was quite the experience. And I, uh, in London, I seen a statue of Winston Church, and I was like, oh, if I was, if I was the leader of London, that would be down, like by tomorrow. That statue would be knocked down by tomorrow, because he, um, he actually feathered this agenda, this, uh, you know, Kalegi melting pot agenda. He was in support of this, and of course, his role in World War II is unforgivable. But the thing is, what people have to understand is that he was bought. He was bought by these very same people. Um, he was bought by a man named, oh, I'm sorry. He, I can't recall the name right now, but he was one of these very wealthy bankers at the time who uh, pretty much saved Winston Churchill from com- complete, um, he, he pretty much just saved his, his, his political career. Because after the disaster of Gallipoli, he was, he was just completely isolated from the political scene, kicked out. He was humiliated. No one wanted to have anything to do with this man. And even during the thirties, he was seen as like um, just a warmonger. And that's why he was installed, Lorna. Of course, I mean, you you know this. Many of us know this. That's exactly why he was installed as, as um, prime minister. Uh, you know, shortly after World War Two kicked off, because they knew how aggressive he would be during this war. He knew how they knew how happy he will be to go ahead with this war and ignore every peace offer uh, flung in his face by, um, as we like to call you, the great one. What a sellout, you know, just disgusting, yeah. absolutely disgusting. Now, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it is heartbreaking looking back at the last hundred years and what's happened in, in European history. And it seems like we're just doomed to repeat cycles for some reason, but the cycles just keep getting more and more ugly and vicious. <laughs> I mean, ah, and now we're dealing with demographics, at least before we didn't have to worry about demographics after wars, people, you know, there'd be baby booms and they can rebuild. Now we're fighting with even more monstrous things on top of it that we have to battle. Uh, so what do we need to do moving forward? I mean, this is awful. I mean, look at the collective suicide of, of European peoples. What do we need to do to move forward to help prevent this collective 
suicide. It's a big question. I know. It's it huge. is a big question. It's, well, I'm not sure the particular order we could do this in. But one thing that I have held firmly on ever since I found out about it was that I think one of the first things we do need to do, one of the things we need to do, Lana, the very first thing I think we need to do is something that everyone within the country can get behind. We need to abolish debt-based banking. We need to get rid of this system because the reason I think this, Lana, is simple. Everyone, apart from a very small percentage of these wealthy elites, are affected by this system. Everyone is a debt slave to the banks. Yes. Everyone gets into slavery to these very banks because, of course, you know, you know interest rates, we are... The, the money you earn from your job is not really yours. It's the banks. It belongs to them. So until we get rid of these very banks, our countries, our nations, our our money, our very own money that we earn doesn't belong to us, it belongs to them. And this affects everyone in the country. And this is, I believe, something that everyone in the country, whether you are a native uh, Englishman or American or whatever, or whether you're just a foreigner, this is something we can all get behind because, of course, most of us have to work to earn a living, of course. Some, some of course, don't. We, you know, they um, look to the government for that. But most of us do. And we are, of course, very unhappy in our jobs. We don't enjoy doing them, but we just have to, have to do them. And the very money we make from these jobs doesn't even belong to us. It belongs to the banks. Yeah, even, so the, even the taxes. The in America, even your income taxes, which are uh, not mandatory in the first place, it's only actually for federal employees, by the way, goes just to pay the interest on loans of the national debt. <laughs> it's like, it is absolute slavery absolute slavery and now we have bankers in america banning people from bank accounts banning them from getting credit and stuff this is this is a new movement so the, we see where this is going right and literally mm. is going to be like they're fulfilling some revelation prophecy about the mark of the beast and if you don't if you're not in if you don't have that social score you're not going to be able to be in their little system but, oh you'll still have to pay taxes and, and fines and fees and stuff of course and breathing air because you're white but you won't be able to use certain services, you know. Exactly. I don't even think this new Bitcoin thing is even safe. I mean, you think Bitcoin would be safe. Once again, I know nothing about Bitcoin, Lorna. It's quite, once again, this is something my little brother will most likely know more about than me. I don't know anything about Bitcoin. It's an option right now, but they're trying to regulate it, you know. Sorry, um, go on. Yeah, you know, even in the 80s, there was this magazine from The Economist, this, this headline, and it was saying that they, they, they um, you know, in like, let's say, let's say 30 years or so, you know, say hello to um, a new currency, a new currency, a new world currency that we'll all share. So even our very own currencies will very shortly be um, completely indistinguishable from other countries. It will be like a worldwide currency. And if these um, elites want us to be cut off from being able to live our lives, to being able to spend our this, big, uh, this currency on, you know, on anything, they can very easily cut us off from this since they will have control of this worldwide currency. So once again, this is, and it's the apotheosis of evil. If, 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 uh, if we're dissidents, Lana, if we say anything or do anything that these people don't like, they can ruin our lives. That's just it, yeah. yeah. And that's yeah. the fear that most people have, right? And mm -hmm. then they wanna make it so then if you go that path and you are a dissident, it's gonna be much harder to put a roof over your head, take care of your kids and be in the system. I mean, <laughs> that's, that is what they want. 
Oh, yeah, money is a, a huge, huge aspect. And uh, I mean, where do, where do you even begin? How, how do we even begin to organize? I know there has been a lot of people who have talked about the, the creation of money and how it's artificial. And I mean, there's a lot of good videos and documentaries out there, but it seems like nothing moves ahead because the bankers have so much power and they have so much hold over all their political leaders. But I know it's been done before in history, but it seems like those people are always destroyed, right? Exactly. I mean, as, as, as you just said, we also have immigration and, you know, all of this degeneracy that's being hoisted upon our nation nowadays to deal with. It, it's not just banking, it's it's everything else. So it, it really does feel like we're all, it's like um, an uphill battle. It really does feel that way. And in many ways, it is an uphill battle, but it's certainly an, it's certainly a battle I'm willing to partake in with uh, our people, Lana. Oh, me too. I mean, because, for um, what is the option? Was the option? I mean, I'm, I'm willing to devote the rest of my life to, you know, fixing our nations for not just my children, but you know, their children's children and your children's children and our people for our people. Yeah. And I think that one of the things we also have to understand is that we are a people. We we are a nation of um, not immigrants. We're not a nation of immigrants. <laughs> We're a nation of um, one people, one nation. So I'm an Englishman. Um, you know, my forefathers were, you know, Englishmen. And we want to keep uh, my Englishness going in the future. And of course, as John Cleese previously stated, London, our capital city, is no longer an English city. So, yes, it's going to be a little uh, hard to keep England English when our capital is no longer an English city. So I think... Um, yeah, we, we just have to unite as a people. We just have to stop with, you know, we have to stop calling people racists and all of this nonsense. We have to just unite as a people and, you know, put our foot down, regain control of our governments and actually install uh, pro-white policies and incentivize couples to actually have children, multiple children. And uh, that's just one of the things I believe we should do, Lana. Yeah, I mean, for crying out loud, there's there's still a lot of us. There's still a lot of us. If we want to make change, we can make change. We just need people to stop being such cowards. But we're also mm -hmm. dealing with a massive, as someone said, the globo homo cultural machine, you know, this is constantly <laughs> programming people. So it's making it harder to reach people. So have you thought of ways? Uh, how do we jam up that machine, as someone has said? I mean, I think it's doing a little bit of what we're doing now and trying to get out there mm -hmm. more uh, on some of the cultural avenues and whatnot. But of course, they're trying to clamp down on that. But what do you think? I think the best way that we can uh, prepare for the future and get as many people as on our side as possible uh, is by watching Apotheosis of Evil, is by subscribing to Red Eyes and other, you know, independent uh, media and news outlets that these big uh, global homo corporations, Silicon Valley, are trying to clamp down and censor. I mean, oh my goodness, uh, you know, I, I was, I was there, I was, I was witnessing the entire night during the, uh, as I think it will be called, the Great summer page of 2019, <laughs> the great YouTube page of 2019. Um, I mean, once again, a, a couple of uh, videos from this channel, one in particular that had over a million views just got deleted yep. uh, for, for hate speech. Um, once again, an entirely meaningless term. Lots of smaller channels got deleted. Um, was it like Jared George got deleted? Um, 
So I think the best thing we can go uh, we can do going forward is I, th- I think we have to always be supportive of one another. We have to support each other, um, you know, financially, and we have to be there for one another in terms of you know needs, whether someone's feeling depressed or whatnot. We really have to be a family to one another, and that is that is uh, I think the best thing we can do going forward. We need, we need to unite as a people, as a family, as as one extended European family. And we have to take it from there. We have to regain control of our countries, our governments, and install pro-white policies that will incentivize people to uh, actually, you know, <laughs> keep up, you know, people going, procreate, and have as many children as possible. No, I think you're absolutely right. I think we're in uh, all of us dissonance are in for a bumpy road. I think that there are mm-hmm. things in store that are coming up. But here's the thing: what is the biggest threat that they always have over you? Finances. But if we help each other out, if you back up your your favorite dissidents out there, you know, to make sure that they can continue to do this work and reach people, because we're going to have to do a little bit of leapfrog, you know, as this happens, moving here, moving here, moving there. I mean, it's going to I think it's going to get a little get a little wild and get a little unpredictable. But if all of you people out there help support all of those people who are out there showing their faces and fighting on the front lines, then it gives them the courage and it gives them the stamina and the inspiration to keep going and to go ahead and reach more people because it's only it's only inevitable the more they clamp down you think that more people are going to be like and eh, no, there's there's no conspiracy going on or of course not of course they're, they're gonna they're gonna realize that it is happening that people like us were telling the truth and one day they will get very very mad that <laughs> it's inevitable it, it's not a matter of of you know, if it's just a matter of when. And the fact is, in history, as you've also covered, it's always been just a small minority of people that really know what's going on. Truth has never been, you know, the deep truths have never been out there for the masses. And, uh, you know, and as we've seen, obviously, there is a, ta- a small minority, a little cabal who's been able to do some pretty impressive things. I, I give them that. Mm-hmm. So, so mm-hmm. can we. <laughs> the reason why, Lana, is simple. It's because... They are a unified people yeah. with a strong uh, sense of, uh, you know, their history and their culture. They, these small hearts, Lana, you've got to give it to them. They are very, um, you know, sort of collectively conscious, very self-aware, and they work together like no other race can really. <laughs> the things that they've achieved is simply because of their unity and their nepotism, admittedly, <laughs> which also goes hand in hand, hand, in hand with like uh, unity, I suppose. Yeah, and then there's this thing about brotherly wars. I think that Europeans were already coming to the end of that before some of these agitators from within started getting them to fight each other and stuff. Do you think that we're at the end of that, or are we going to see some more kind of bloody brotherly wars in the future? Or is it going to be different kind of warfare, kind of like what's happening now? It's entirely possible that there will be a World War Three. Obviously, no one wants that. The only people that do want that is these uh, globalist elites. Um, and it will most likely be, be against the, uh, the nations of Iran, Syria, China, and Russia. And the reason why, everyone, is because these uh, globalist bankers, they either have no control over these countries via banking methods or you know they have no control over, over their government, or because it's a threat to um, success and prosperity of uh, a certain a certain nation in the Middle East <laughs> called Israel. So um, going forward, obviously, I hope to 
God that we don't see any major wars, any major brother wars, uh, or, or even civil wars. No one wants war. No one wants war because war means death. And the only people that actually profit from these wars are the bankers because, of course, they, they're the ones that, you know, uh, finance these very wars. But unfortunately, the way, I think the more diversity we have, the more inevitable civil war will be. I think that the best way we can um, have peaceful nations and have less racism, ironically, is by having more homogenous nations. And that is, of course, it, it goes completely against the agenda of the globalists who want this melting pot nation. Well, we have to continue to raise awareness, and I think that that's what we're doing, and people like you and I are, are highly committed, <laughs> and uh, we'll be doing this for probably the rest of, I, I see myself doing this for the rest of my life, you know, I always joke around, I'll, I'll be it's a grandma cool. talking about these things, so, <laughs> you know, they can't underestimate the commitment to, of, of some of us, you know, I mean, some mm -hmm. of, I mean, eventually it's going to be at a point where some people have nothing left to lose, you know, and <laughs> at that point, I think we're going to see some interesting things. It's far from over, far from over. I mean, we've seen the red terror before, but that, that didn't last, right? We've seen mass murder before, but people still, you know, they woke up. I guess what's different today is they don't just come out and blatantly just mass murder you like the Bolsheviks. Okay, mm. we're in power now. And that makes it really obvious who the enemy is. Now it's much more covert, like JFK it's was saying. It's a it's very, it's, 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 it is conspiratorial. And that is exactly why mm. YouTube wants to shut down those kinds of conversations because it gets you thinking that way. And it really exposes because you start looking mm. into all the little cracks and then you put the pieces together and that's exactly what they don't want they don't like little mm. moles like us going in there and pulling out all these little bits of information do they you know but mm. it's not going to stop it's not going to stop i mean truth is out there They're, they can't put the lid back on this anymore like it, it's out there <laughs> so. truth allowed. yeah any uh, last words of inspiration for everyone uh before you leave for this time anyway of course of course i just want to um say that once again, as I said previously, this is admittedly an uphill battle. Well, it's a battle I am so thankful and so grateful to be on with people like you, Lana, and people like Henrik, and people like, um, once again, just all the countless many uh, Twitter accounts and Gab accounts. The many people behind these accounts are alone an inspiration to me. I, you know, I hate Twitter when I'm on like the blue checkmark side of it, but when, when I'm on like the like, nationalist side of it, <laughs> I am. Um, I'm having the time of my life. We, we have the best people, we have the smartest people, the most creative people, the funniest people. We have the, the best memes, you know, we, we have the best sort of, uh, you know, you know, the best videos, the, the best media outlets. We, we just have the best of the best, I think. And it's an absolute honor and pleasure to be fighting the good fight with you people. And of course, my greatest contribution, I think, to our cause, to our movement, to our people, will most likely always be apotheosis of evil, but I, I will, definitely come out with more content in the future. And Lana, before I go, do I have your explicit permission and approval to create various uh, various methods of donation for oh. people that like my way? Because right now, Lana, I don't have any. <laughs> I don't have a subscribed store. I don't have a Patreon. I do have a PayPal, although I haven't really used it. I haven't used it. So... Well, they're, the, they're the devil no anyway. Of, uh, They'll shut you down eventually <laughs> anyway, so don't get too comfy eventually. there. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Eventually. If people people want to support you, definitely set something up like that. If you want to continue to do films mm. or, or whatever you you're passionate about doing, you continue doing mm. it for sure. Absolutely. Well, tell people how they can watch your film, how they can find you, and all that good stuff. Well, right now, the uh, Apotheosis of Evil, the ten-hour epic documentary, in three parts. It's it's available 
in individual parts as well as the full thing. Um, it's available online right now. God knows when, uh, how long that'll be. <laughs> but uh, I think the more popular it gets, the more you know likely it will be that it'll get censored in some way. But it's available for now. You can find it by simply typing in Apotheosis of Evil. It's available in part one, part two, part three. Part one is two, two hours, part two is four hours, and part three is four hours and 15 minutes, you know, including the end credits. And I will say this, it's very long, but it's, it's you know, it's it's a life-changing, it's a life-changing experience for the uh, the normies out there and the people that are currently unaware of what's going on. And it's, it's definitely worth putting the time to watch it. And if you need any extra content, any extra, you know, if you want to be directed to further sources and resources, then every, a, a hell of a lot of content is available in the end credits. I have a lot of recommended, you know, works there, as well as the soundtrack, <laughs> because there's a lot of uh, music in this as well. So, yeah. Great. We'll start and, saving uh, it down, everyone, and put it up there. And also, yeah. there's a thing called websites, so you could always put it up on a website. I know a lot of young kids no, always I, love going to social media I, and YouTube and yeah. stuff. Like, do people go to websites anymore? You're going to start having to if all your favorite creators are being banned from YouTube. You're going to have to go back to uh, good old-fashioned websites, huh? I think I'll need some help with that, Lana. <laughs> but, yeah, that would obviously be preferable, of course. But right now, uh, yeah, no websites available. And I'll just put this out there real quick that uh, Christian is a single, by the way, ladies. So. <laughs> I thank you, Lana. <laughs> thank you, you never know. Mrs. Per Miss Perfect might be watching right now. So <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. I, I would love to go to one of these, uh, you know, right-wing conferences like Amren. And uh, I, I remember you said that it's a great place to meet, uh, you know, like-minded people. Uh, <laughs> so hopefully one day I can attend one of them. Yeah, and definitely. And then, you know, meet so you know meet a lot of people that way because if there's one thing i love doing it's it's you know meeting our people in real life and i know there's a good group of people also in in london because you know it's super diverse so of course there's gonna be <laughs> lots yeah. of good people coming together there so well thank you christian for all your hard work and coming on and speaking with me today it's been a pleasure and i'm sure we can do a follow-up in the near future but keep us posted on things okay i would love that <laughs> it's been my pleasure lana and it's been a pleasure to finally speak with you so, um, and Henrik in the background there. So thank you very much for having me on. It's an honor. And I sincerely hope to be on sometime in the future. Definitely. Thank you.